Hello world, this is Better Tech, a podcast where we chat with some of the most successful leaders about the latest industry developments. So join us as we explore the world reliant on tech. Hello everyone, welcome to Better Tech. So today we have Lucas with us. Hey Lucas, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. So Lucas, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so I'm French, as you can hear by the accent. Um, I've been I've been working in tech for ten years now, so I'm I'm 29. Um, haven't gone to school, so I started working straight out of high school. Um, and yeah, in tech, as mostly as an engineer in the first five years, and then and then CTO roles, um, and lately as an entrepreneur in the last 12 months as well, as I've started the company after uh, five years in a in a in a big French startup. All right. So, so you said that you started working right out of the high school, right? So without any sort of, I mean, uh, directly from the school to getting it started. I mean, how was the experience? Yeah, I mean, uh, I used to be, uh, so between my like 15 and 20, uh, I was teaching tennis back then. And it was a, I, I, I liked it. And so I was thinking about maybe doing a career in just, you know, tennis in general, right? That's a good good thing. You're outside all the time and everything. Uh, but then I realized, like, um, between my tennis level, the ambitions I had and everything, it would be very, very hard, actually, to pursue any kind of, like, high-level, pro-level career, even in coaching. Like, not as a player, but even in coaching, it's very hard to get there. Very few places. So I had to switch at some point and say, like, okay, maybe I'm going to do go do something else. Um, and one of my... I wouldn't say passion. One of the things I like to do at home was like experimenting with a computer and and do stuff like okay. like okay, not coding at the beginning, but like just do stuff on the computer, right? Try to understand how things work. And I got into coding little by little. And then at like nineteen, when you look around, you're like, I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna be a tennis teacher. I'm gonna, not gonna be a pro player either. So you're starting to look at like what you can do. You don't want to go to school. And so you're like, okay, maybe maybe coding might be a good idea, and it's something you can get into very fast, especially in France at the time. Like, not a lot of people were software engineers. Um, so yeah, that's how, that's how I got started, right? And my mother told me like, it's either you get a job or I'll find you a job. <laughs> um, sure. So I I got the job, right? Yeah. So how how do you got yourself started in this? I mean, um, you you studied through YouTube courses or. You took some boot camps or, I mean, how, how did it all happen? So I was playing a game, an online browser-based game at the time. Um, and, um, and the guy who was running the game actually took some time off. And he, he, like, I knew him and he told me, like, I need someone to manage the game. Like, not write the code, but, like, manage the game overall. Uh, and so he sort of gave me the game for, like, a year or two when he was, like, off doing other things around the world. Uh, and the game had some bugs. And so I had to start fixing the bugs because the players were complaining. We had like a thousand, a thousand five hundred players. So it's not that many, but like a thousand people complaining is a lot, <laughs> actually. And so uh, I had to start in France. We had the thing called the Site du Zero, which was like it's open classroom now, um, and uh, it was a website made for like beginners like me. And so I would see a bug and I would try to do as much as I could from the course on open classroom to fix the bug and try to find my way around the code. Right. So it's very hard at the beginning. But then you learn to be, you learn the debug mindset really quick. I'm not a big like theory guy. I like to like read a bit of theory and then go directly into practice. It takes more time at the beginning, 
but then you get used to the gymnastic, you know. So it's mostly how I did it on my right. on my own with the yeah. game. And then yeah, that that sounds quite a journey. So I mean, uh, then you you said that you moved transitioned into various roles. You worked through various jobs. Wow. Ultimately, ultimately, like at the ultimate level, you were sort of a CTO, right? And then you were in leadership positions. Later, you trans transferred yourself into entrepreneurship. So, how does that leap happen? Or, I mean, how does uh, your experience looks like there? Um, you mean the experience between like CTO roles and entrepreneurship, or yeah, the experience yeah, leadership like roles and role? leadership roles and starting your own company? Yeah, um, I, I think it's just it's just. It was natural, sort of, right? Um, the the even the roles I've been in outside of work, being like the tennis coaching, being like managing a game, it's it's always roles where you have some sort of responsibility over people. You know, you have your your tennis class is like six or seven people that will do whatever you're 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 telling them to do. The game was a bit the same, so I feel like I've always had a I've always liked being in some sort of leadership position, not because I get to decide everything, but just because I, you know, I get to experiment my own things. I get to do things the way I do. I want to do them. Right. Um, and so I think when you start as an engineer and then you are like, you're able to talk well, you're able to um, like explain with like good words to your management, whatever you're doing, usually they start to like you and they start to feel like you can be in a position where you can, you know, maybe, maybe be responsible for people. Even if you are very young, because you look good and you can't speak, right? Um, they're gonna give you yeah. that. So I feel like it, it was pretty natural in the in, in the way I started, being like you have an intern, then you have a few interns with you, and then they start giving you someone who's like uh, a young full-time employee to manage as well, and then you change job and you have a full-time management job. You know, it's like the it's like very natural. And I think I've always until I had like maybe 20, 30 people in my team, which is like starting to be a lot of them, um, I've always wanted to do more as well. So it feels, I feel like it was natural. I wanted it. The companies I worked for wanted it as well. So it was like very natural to move. And it was like a slow linear move as well. And mm -hmm. then when I reached like 20, 30 people, I was like, okay, this is a very different job. I don't enjoy it that much anymore. Uh, and then you grow like Spendes, my last company, I ended up with like a hundred people in my team. And it's like, it's full-time management, full-time full executive position. And that's when I was like, okay, I've done my fair share. I've done executive, I've done management. <laughs> I don't want to do that anymore. Like I can manage people, it's not the point, but it, it cannot be the, the only thing I'm doing uh, right. my whole day. I need to do something else. And that's the shift from, you know, being a, an engineer from being a to being a manager to being like back to being an engineer, actually, because right now a lot of things I do is like coding, <laughs> even right. though I'm the CEO. So, uh, so tell us about your company, your latest venture, what it is all about. Mm. So we are a, a we are a billing company. So we manage the billing process um, end to end for a SaaS company, B two B SaaS companies. So it's the subscription management, uh, invoicing management, payment processing. So we don't do the processing, but we orchestrate payment processors so that you don't have to integrate them. Um, and the philosophy that we have doing it is we want to be a very flexible billing engine. So meaning that anything that you want to change, anything that you want to do, you can do it without calling your whole engineering team. And them having to work two, three months um, to run the, the change, right? If you want to change your pricing, if you want to change your invoicing, if you want to change your payment processor, for instance, we're trying to make everything as smooth as, as we can and as low tech as we can. So you do one integration, you do it fast, and then you don't have to spend engineering time 
um, on, on the team. So that's, that's mostly what we do right now. Right. So, I mean, within your team so far, how you have managed to maintain the technical innovation? I mean, the product is developed, it's developed in pieces, MVPs, then various builds. You roll it out, you figure out how, how it's going along and then you change it. So, uh, so the product is like constantly evolving. So how do you, from a technical standpoint, keep your teams or keep the product is, itself um, going on with continuous innovation? I mean, to be fair, it's uh, it's easier when you're a small company than when you're a bigger one, right? Mm -hmm. um, right now, we have like five people in engineering. So it's like, I mean, if we if we cannot innovate when we are five people and if we cannot move fast and do good things, then we won't do it when we are 20 or 25, right? It's, it's, it's harder when you're 100. Um, mm -hmm. But I think the main thing is the amount of time you spend at the beginning on the foundations of what you're building meaning um, on the technical side, meaning automation, testing, uh, tools, right? The things that are going to help you in the long term manage your code base, manage your process, manage your releases, manage your bugs as well. And, and the things that are basically in increasing velocity overall, um, I think it's the main thing that I've changed between Spendesk, my last company, and now. So like in, we invested a lot more time right now. So I think right now we have a lot more tooling than we had in my previous company, even though we were like 100 engineers with DevOps and platform and everything. Just because it's what's going to help you maintain, like because you can maintain the platform faster, you're also going to be able to find more time to do new things. Mm. Try new things, do new things. Uh, if your platform runs very well and when you find a bug, you can debug it in five minutes because you have the right logs, you have the right observability everywhere, then you can spend an, an hour or more on like trying a new technology, trying AI, trying whatever new language is coming out. Right? Right. So I think that's, that's, the main, that's the main thing um, to keep the team. Yeah, so as you have said, your current team is sort of lean and you basically can make constant innovation happen. But you also mentioned that you have managed large teams as well. So within large yeah. large teams, I mean, how you were managing collaboration, making people aligned to the common goal, as well as ensuring that they have a strong sense of purpose, that whatever they are doing, whatever they are building is going to be, be very impactful. So, I mean, in, in a nutshell, how, you, how do you keep them uh, marching towards the common goal in large teams? Yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of the same in large teams and in small teams uh, in the sense that what we do with large teams is usually what get people to stop following you. Uh, I'm going to explain that, but usually when you have a large team, you start having to, you start processing everything because you're like, okay, large teams, if you don't, like if you have a hundred people and you have a very clear process for everything, then everything gets, you know, it, it's just a big mess. The thing is, if you do that, you're dehumanizing the relationship, right? Because everything is now processed. Everything is now written in Notion, Notion notes. Everything is now done through automation and like, uh, like GitHub tickets, linear tickets, and through middle management as well. Um, you start dehumanizing the, 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 the vision, the leadership, everything, right? Because everyone answers to the process and no one answers to someone. And I think that's what we don't do when you're a small company because you can't do it. You can't have a very big process for releases, right? It doesn't happen. You, can, you cannot spend two months fine-tuning your release process until you release something. You have to release it next week. Um, so I think the main thing that I did at Spendes that I would do now 
um, we'd be like to try to be as minimalist as we can on the process, on the process, on the management, on the frameworks that you're using, on everything. Like if I can fix a problem in a two minutes conversation, I do not need to change a process or to add a step to my process to fix that problem in the long term. Because the two-minute conversation I'm going to have with whoever is in charge of the problem is going to be a lot more helpful in the long term. Because that person knows, obviously, they know who I am. But like they know what I think. They know why I want them to solve the problem. I can help them solve the problem as well. So I create a bond. I create a trust with that person. And I also create accountability. Because if there is a process managing everything, if there is a framework managing everything, no one is accountable for anything. The framework is right. Like if you're prioritizing, for instance, and you're following a framework for prioritization, then it's not about vision, mission, uh, the customers, it's about the framework. And so you don't have to think anymore. You just apply whatever rules you have to, to like write, for instance, for prioritization. So to me, I'm trying to have as little process as I can, as little frameworks as I can, just the bare minimum that we need to get going and then prioritize discussion, clear explanation, meaning that, we are doing this because of that. Mm. And this is backed by X, Y, Z data that we have. And everything that I'm trying to explain to the team has to make sense for them because no. I'm giving them data, because I'm like, you know, giving them a simple explanation mm. to whatever we are doing right now. Mm. Like, I think that's the main thing. You have a lot of things you can change. But like in the end, it's the main thing. They need to see you as a human being. They need to see the leadership as a human being in general, and they need to understand exactly why they are doing whatever they are doing. Why does this decision make sense? Right. Right. So, I mean, since you have been um, there for quite a bit, I mean, you have a ton of of experience of managing like teams of various sizes, working in different companies. So what change you have seen or noticed in in terms of engineering culture? I mean, do you think the culture, uh, engineering culture between in, within engineers have evolved? It has gone further. It it it's going towards a downward trend. How how have you seen it evolving? I think there is two things that have changed massively in the last. I mean, I wasn't there before, like ten years ago, so I don't know. But like in the last five, maybe four five years, one is remote like remote to an extent where people are working with a seven hours jet lag and uh, 9,000 kilometers difference. They're not speaking the same language. They're not even speaking. None of them is speaking their native language. Like you have that a lot, right? Um, and the second one is, we're going to say entitlement, but it's like how much the new people that are coming now to get a job expect is mm. due to them by the by the company they're working with right um i've been i've been educated by parents who are like sort of old school in that way it's like you're the boss and you answer to the boss and the company will give you whatever they will give you and you sometimes you can ask for a bit more but like it's not it's not due right and i think it's the two things that change not related to engineering but because of the profile of engineers who are people that are more like software engineers are working for most of them are working because they enjoy their job they enjoy coding. So they've always associated the job as something that they enjoy, right? Compared to like a sales guy. No one enjoys sending thousands of emails, right? They enjoy, you know, closing deals, making money, but like they don't enjoy the process usually, or at least less of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because 
the impact on engineers of remote work and the everything around like what the company owes me has been a lot more visible than to other people, right? Because sometimes you know, they're like, I can work remotely. I want to work remotely. I don't want the constraint of not working remotely. I won't accept it now. And so I'm going to work wherever I want. And so in Paris, we had a big migration from engineers where in Paris and now they're everywhere. They're in Portugal, they're in Spain, they're in Italy, they're wherever they want to be, but they're not in Paris, they don't want to come to the office anymore. And this has created an engineering culture in general that's a lot less humanized, sort of, as I mentioned earlier. It's way harder to build personal relationships, it's way harder to build bonds, and it's increased the impression that engineers are freelancers in the end. Even some of them are full-time sometimes. Not all of them. We have a bunch of remote people in, in the company that are amazing and are really involved within the team. But a lot of them I've seen, especially in bigger companies, um, are more distant, you know, less human, behaving more like freelancers than, than employees that are, you know, reading the adventure with us. So I think there are two main shifts that I've seen, and it's impacting engineers more because of the profiles of the people, right? the, the, the way they see work in general. Sure. So many times what happens is that engineers are a lot more focused on doing things which is which we call like engineering marvel right they want yeah. to do they want to do things in a certain way which gives them satisfaction etc and sometimes Absolutely. sometimes doing that actually uh, is not very much aligned with the customer needs or demands sometimes it happens so how how do you manage that i mean you have to keep the engineers motivated i mean um, that they are doing some fancy stuff but on the other side you have to manage the product releases customer needs its life cycle. So how do you strike the balance between the two? I mean, it's it's very linked to the previous point, which is like, who do you hire in your company in terms of mindset? Do you hire the guy who's here and is going to behave as a freelancer and just going to want to work on whatever they like and, and the way they want to do it? Or do you look for people who are not that kind of person and is going to be really involved with the company, understand the customer need, want to be uh, involved in the product roadmap, um, these are people who are usually uh, harder to manage in the way that they don't just do what you're, they're told, right? They, they're they're going to want to understand. They're going to want to talk to the customer as well. They're going to want to have an input in the decision. But there are people that are also extremely useful because they are going to help you. Um, they're going to be way more autonomous when you give them something to do, right? So I, I would say the first thing is hiring. You hire for the right mindset. You hire for the people who are going to be connected with whatever the company is trying to do and understand that it's not a playground for them to experiment. It's, it's a real business and a real product that we are selling to real people. And that even though they need to find joy in their work, they also need to do whatever we need to do. And mm -hmm. I think the other side is actually the complete opposite is you need to give them something. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a 50, 50, it's a win-win, right? So they, they need to give you something sometimes doing something quick and dirty because a customer needed doing something that they don't want to do, like uh, cleaning some code or refactoring something just because we need it on the long term, right? It's important for the company or writing tests. <laughs> it's the main example, writing a ton of tests, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then it's a win-win. So you need also to give them space to experiment. Like I spend a lot of time actually trying to know the engineers that are working with us a lot so that when a feature comes up, like recently we had to build a front-end SDK with a bunch of components, right? And I knew a guy in my team, he's been working on boring stuff for a month and a half. And I mm. knew a guy in my team and I knew this was gonna be a good thing for him. I knew he, he liked that some sort of stuff, right? 
And so it's also the win-win, right? Um, he's been working on boring stuff, but then at the end of the boring stuff, you give him something that's really exciting for him and that he, he really loves doing. And so he spent like two weeks in a tunnel doing that, um, but he really enjoyed it. And so now he can accept that it's like, sometimes I work for the company, even though I don't like it. And sometimes the company helps me by giving me something to do that's just cool and not giving them giving me too much oversight and too much like rules and frame on how I should do my stuff. Like I know how to do my stuff. Right. So how do you keep yourself up to date with the latest stuff? I mean, uh, there are a lot of things which are which are happening and you have to do like continuous learning and be on your toes about what's happening out there. So what's what keeps you motivated yeah. to keep on learning? I mean you have to choose you have to choose your, but you have to pick your battles, right? Um, you can you can be an expert in AI, an expert in infrastructure, and an expert in like. So I have true. I have chosen the sort of the places where I want to stay really sharp, and the places where I'm I'm okay with like the ecosystem going a bit too far, a bit too too fast for me. So, um, I'm spending a lot of time on the code base right now. Still, I mean it's a, it's a it's a twelve month old company, so we still have like. I still have a lot to do. And I think for the next six to nine months, I'm still going to be involved in tech. So it's it's helping me as well, getting sharper on the new stuff. Like okay, I've been yeah. spending a lot of time in the new TypeScript versions, in the new, like we've been using new platform as a service tools and everything. So I've been spending a lot of time on that. So it's helping me staying connected. Uh, and it's also about having discussions with the team pretty often. Like at Pendesk, I used to have technical, I used to attend technical meetings with the team. Okay. Not, to, not necessarily to speak, not necessarily to be like, we should do that, even though they, you're the boss. So they all look at you like, should we do that? I'm like, I don't know. You know, you know better than me. You are the DevOps guy, right? <laughs> so I'm not. But like sort of chatting with them and being like, what have you seen this week? That's great. Like, what, what's the new technology? What's the new trend that we should look at, right? As, as a leadership team. So it's all about being curious yourself, having a curious team that's going to push you ideas. They're going to push you too much, but that's fine. At least you're going to hear something is coming. And then it's also... I think spending a bit of time outside of work on it as well. Like I'm trying to spend a few hours every weekend, whatever, just looking at like AI, for instance, I've been mm. late on AI, but still trying to look at like having enough knowledge of it so that I can make a decision whether or not we should use some of that into our workflow or not, right? Um, even though I'm not able to build anything with it or anything significant with it, still having some sort of sense, like should we hire someone who knows how to do this or is it something that's not important for us, right? Sure. Uh, but it's it's time. It's time and energy. If it's not your passion, it's time and energy to just dig. <laughs> so so based on your experience and your career path and trajectory, I mean, what advice would you offer to entrepreneurs who are like uh, new into the world of entrepreneurship and who are looking to solve solve some innovative um, or solve some problems through innovative solutions? I mean, what, what would your advice for them? It's a hard one. Because um, I've not... Like, you should have someone who has, like, built 10 companies, <laughs> 10 successful companies. Um, but the way I did it was I found... So what, the way I looked at, like, I need to find an idea, right? I want to build a company now. I need to find something to build a company with, right? Um, and... The thing I looked at was like, what has been a pain in the last five years of my life? Like what's been really painful for me, for my team um, that has like, could be, could be big enough so that I would be excited every day to 
to work on that. I don't really care the space I'm working with. Like I could, I could build a, I'm building a billing company. Like I, I could build something in healthcare. I could build something in climate. It doesn't really matter to me. It's the adventure that excites me. So something that's like really a pain for me, something that excited me and, and something where I can also feel the product in my mind. Like what's the product that I want to build? Do I have an idea of what good or impressive would look like? Um, because sometimes you have like, this is painful. Like, let's, let's take climate change. Climate change is a big problem. Um, I would get excited to work on that, but I have no idea how to solve the problem, right? Yeah. I have no product in my mind right now. Whereas billing, I had the product in my mind. Like, I knew what I wanted to build, and I knew how we could do it better. Then you have to execute, but I knew how I could do something well, uh, better. So the way I did it is that, I don't know if it would work for everyone, but I would expect the three things like actual pain, you, you enjoy it. Uh, like you would enjoy working on that. And um, yeah, and, and you can project the product. So you have, there is some meaning from you building that company because you can, you can find a good solution. I think this could be good for everyone, probably. But it's been my process. And I wouldn't say that probably not everyone's process, right? Some people just dig everywhere for like 12 months and did they find something that VCs are going to finance. And it's fine. Like it works as well. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, since your role uh, is like at a crossroads of um, like having different, different areas, you can say it's about innovation, it's about engineering, it's about leadership, technology. So how do you see your role in your company evolving? I mean, uh, would you like shift your role more towards the tech side, maybe have someone else to uh, stuff? How, how do you envision it? We've we've hired a fantastic CTO. Okay. Um who is 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 like me. He's sort of the same profile. He's like a, a tech guy who can speak and understand business and is really interested with product. Uh but we are extremely complementary in terms of the way we approach work. Mm-hmm. He's a very precise guy, he's a very like he's, he's the kind of guy who's going to fine tune something when he needs fine tuning. He's never lazy to fix a problem to mm-hmm. like, he's the kind of engineer. He works on a feature. He's going to clean everything. Right. Because that's just the way he is. And I'm not naturally, I'm not that kind of guy, even though I'm doing it because I have to, uh, but it's not my, my, my natural, like I'm, I'm not a high level person. Um, and so it's very interesting because we have the same way to look at the business, but we have a very complementary skill set. And I think we need that guy for tech. Like as a CTO, you need someone who is like sort of hmm. able to fine tune the things, right? You need someone who's going to have that mindset and drive the team to do it as well, because it's how you achieve quality in the long term. Um, so we've hired him. I'm spending a lot of time on the product and on the development right now, but more okay. as a, I'm more spending time as a dev in his team, even though I'm the CEO, but like he, he uses me as a resource in his team. Like he's like, I think you should work on that. And I'm like, okay, give me that. I'm going to spend time on that, right? Because sure, what, sure. for whatever reason, I'm, I'm the better, best person to work on that. Um, and then little by little, I'm just going to move off from the actual tech um, and keep being product and brand, which is what I do most right now. Like being, being the face of the company and working a lot on the products, probably what I'm going to do as much as I can. Um, because I mean, it's what matters right now. The, the reason we get customers is because they see us. Yeah. <laughs> they see us on LinkedIn, they see us on social network. The, the, the main reason, like someone from your team contacted me as well in the first place, it's like you're seen 
And so that's what I'm going to spend a lot of time on. But I'm still going to get an eye on tag, even though I trust the CTO, like my eyes closed, but I'm still going to have a look on tag because I just like it. I just enjoy it too much. Probably yeah. going to keep some Docker running and uh, and some commits from time to time. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. And Lucas, in the end, I would like to really thank you for your time today and sharing your wisdom with us. It was really an enjoyable conversation. Absolutely. We wish you all the best with your startup and um, really wish that it takes you places. Thank you for having me. All the best to you. Have too. a good one. Thanks, Lucas. Bye. Thanks for listening to BetterTech. We look forward to bringing you the latest industry news in our next episode. In the meantime, check out our other episodes at techcell.com slash podcast and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss an episode.